Hello everybody, this is Dr. Fred. I am responsible, I am accountable, I am capable of assisting people to find their true voice and then deliver it effectively into the world around us. With 40 years in mental health, 32 of them as a psychiatrist, and then a massive amount of conversations, including podcasting and expert speaking, keynote speaking, I have the opportunity to really see the magic that it takes to find one's authentic self and then deliver it effectively into the world. And if you're like me, you can see that now more than ever, that's what's called for. So today is that day. Now is that time. Come forth. Join me in the broadcast. You'll see on the other side of this at True Voice with Dr. Fred. Hello, everyone. It's Dr. Fred, and it is, uh, again, a deep honor and pleasure to be hosting you today on the uh, Welcome uh, or the True Voice with Dr. Fred podcast. I have another podcast. It's called Welcome to Humanity, and that's been lying dormant for a while. But ultimately, my entire brand is based on this notion of Welcome to Humanity. Now, typically, we've been talking about Welcome to Humanity and True Voice and the True Voice course. And I want to speak a little bit to this True Voice course this, this afternoon, or whatever time it is that you're actually watching uh, this or, or listening to this broadcast. The True Voice podcasting or True Voice course is uh, just an opus of mine. I mean, it's really come out phenomenal. There are, there are six modules, 18 uh, lessons, at least 54 prompts, uh, over 20 videos, and then there's a uh, there's a exclusive Facebook group. There's a mastermind that meets twice a week. There's copies of both of my books and then archives into all the courses I've taught before, as well as the three summits that I've led and much, much more. There's access to some podcasts that uh, I've made before, as well as new podcasts and the capacity to be there while the podcast is being created. So, as part of a project of a course that I'm in, um, I was to kind of pick a demographic or pick a target audience, uh, you know, ideal client, an avatar, whatever, whatever. There's many names for that. And um, after a little bit of thought, I came up with this idea that there is a group of individuals who now more than ever are being really called on to bring their messages forward because frankly, they're the brilliant group, the most brilliant group of people I've ever met and the future lies in their hands and they're muffled, they're muted, they're stifled and they're, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're something like, I don't know, too important here to skip over. So that group is the 18 to 39-year-olds, 18 to 39-year-olds who are the most brilliant, well-meaning, articulate, and frankly, powerful group that is here in our world. You know, at the next flip of the calendar, they're going to be the leaders of our world. And as of right now, they have plenty to say. They've been here since the beginning And things have gone the way they've gone, and they've not gone in the way that we sort of train them to be prepared for. 
And not only that, where we are now, we have trained them to uh, really get that their voice maybe doesn't matter, or we have not leaned on them for their leadership brilliance that could come through. So this course that I've created, the True Voice course, is specifically aimed at that target population, that demographic, that ideal client, that avatar. It doesn't mean that you or anyone else wouldn't benefit also from the uh, the course modules and the uh, lessons that are involved with the course. It just means that I, it is my hope that we're able to activate and facilitate these amazing individuals to find their true voice and then to uh, not only find it, but to express it. And then not only, you know, to, to find it, to um, actually express it and then to deliver it. So that's the mission of the course that I've created, the true voice course. And that's the target population. Now, how are we going to get to that group? The way we're going to get to that group is through you. You see, they don't even know that they're not being heard or that they could be really wanted, that their message is exactly what the world could take. And it could really alter the, for the whole course of reality for all of us here on the planet if the 18 to 39-year-olds stepped into their power. There's places where they just would call us out on bullshit. And there's other places where they would double down on things that we've done that create a future that works for everyone. So here's to the dedication of the True Voice course, True Voice course to the 18 to 39 year olds. I guess in particular, I'm leaning towards uh, men more than women, but not for any really great reason. Women too, the women too of that age group are beyond brilliant, are loving and caring and really deeply involved in how the world is unfolded. However, we don't often hear their message. We don't, we treat them as if they're, you know, meant to be seen and not heard. And they took that on a long time ago and haven't really frequently come out of that eggshell. So the True Voice course is really meant to activate that group, the 18 to 39-year-olds who have something to say about how things are going in the world, or maybe they have a life that isn't quite working. They, maybe they don't know which direction they want to go, or they've already gone a few directions and it hadn't worked, or they're feeling depressed or anxious or fearful or nervous, or maybe they're feeling resentful or regretful or they're having trouble sleeping, or maybe they're just having trouble keeping a job or staying awake or, uh, you know, getting along with their parents or their friends or their partners, the bosses, the neighbors, strangers, etc. There's nothing wrong with people who are meeting that particular criteria. It doesn't make something wrong with them. We don't burn, we don't blame a log for burning in a fire. And the situation that we've set up for this group is kind of pitiful. They went through life at a certain level, actually willing to hear, listen, and be trained and be led and guided by their parents, for which, frankly, I'm a parent of two children who are in this age group. And then when the deal went down, it started going in directions that we did not necessarily teach them. 
So they too are stunned with the challenges of the outside world and the challenges that are here in the inside world. They've worked hard at creating relationships and now they have to create relationships online. And as you know, is frequently uh, it is cited that, you know, they know computers better than their um, previous uh, generation. And that's true. There's something again about them not being heard for what their thoughts are or what their votes are or what their purpose is or what their contribution is, but instead being utilized sort of robotically for being uh, serving a purpose in the work world. Some of them are really smart when it comes to artificial intelligence. Others of them are just there serving a purpose and, you know, just punching a clock so that they can come home. And there's a whole group of this, this population. We'll say that's millennials plus it's millennials, but then it's a few years before and a few years after when millennials get described. So it covers uh, all of the millennials um, with a little excess on both sides. Maybe they're caught up with gaming, you know, video gaming, or they're caught up with, uh, you know, with alternate realities rather than taking on some of the extraordinary challenges that are here with us. So that's what the course is really built on. It's really phenomenal. So today, I'd like to say that the course is unfolding as it's unfolding. We're taking our time to create a wonderful course. We're looking at different platforms where it might be best to deliver. And then we're making ground in those platforms. I became aware recently of a, uh, a you know, of a course that was being taught by Dean Graziani and Tony Robbins. And the course is called Project Next. And this is a course where you can learn how to deliver a course. I'm very excited about this involvement in this course. And, you know, I'm even excited about transposing the True Voice course from my previous software to mastermind.com. That's the software that is owned by this group. And frankly, it sounds to me like it's a software that is more geared towards my style Intuitively, it's very sound. It's not as overly comprehensive as my previous software. I think it costs less and it delivers a higher quality product. So I'm very pleased with that and the development of my course as well. What I noticed is that once I start really talking about delivering courses, I could become a course leader at multiple levels. There are several different areas of life where I consider myself either interested or maybe expert enough or facilitator enough to bring on a new level of learning among students who wanted to take my course. So I'm pleased to announce that I'll be creating different courses as well once I get a handle, a good handle on the mastermind.com. There are different courses to teach. For instance, I may teach my first book. And I've talked a little bit on here about my first book. By the way, let me just give you the phone number. If you're interested in calling and having a conversation with me, the number to call in is 1-888-627-6008. That's 1-888-627-6008. And I'd be glad to have a conversation with you. Let's talk a little bit about the Creative 8. The Creative 8 is a course that's built on uh, really getting that most mental health issues 
meaning most uncomfortable experiences that people seek out psychiatric care for are simply discomfort that are likely based on a lack of self-expression or an inability to connect with other people. Maybe I say inability and it's too, too loose, but uh, for whatever reason, difficulty connecting to another person. Maybe it's that people have difficulty listening to them. Or maybe it is that they're expressing themselves in a way that makes it difficult to hear what it is that they really are trying to communicate. The Creative Eight looks at multiple different ways to deliver that level of communication, often without direct vocality, the type of communication that we're depending on right this very moment. You see, I'm authoring words, and then I'm offering sentences as a string of those words. And then from those sentences, I'm creating thoughts and ideas on the fly, hoping that what comes out of my mouth is consistent with what it is that I'm thinking as I develop those words to, do, to represent the ideas that I'm trying to communicate. Wow, that's a mouthful, right? Well, guess what? Every time you talk, you are doing the same thing. And then it really gets really antsy after that, because, you know, once you've developed a thought and then you deliver it into the airways, especially now, you're depending on all sorts of things, including, you know, an Internet for which there are no wires, nothing visible, nothing to inter interrupt or intersect. And you have no idea how that voice is landing over there. In fact, not only how, like what actually it sounds like, but how did it get there in the first place? When you think about it, there are literally hundreds of millions, frankly, billions of people who are on the internet right this very moment. And those airwaves that we're talking about are intercepting and crossing each other. Calling it the internet is one of the more brilliant things that it is because that's exactly what it is. It creates a lattice, a netting between all of us. In an instant, I can speak with somebody. I know by now it's all like old news, but in an instant, just by hitting send or just by hitting open, I can speak with somebody halfway across the globe on real time and have it land in any way that, uh, well, any way that it lands, but probably pretty close to how I intended it. However, if those messages are intercepted and messed with a little bit, even one word, then with one word shift, there's things, there's wars that have started in the past based on one word shifts. So these are precarious times. We are living in precarious times where the best form of communication is these internet uh, communication efforts. And when we actually get going with them, we notice that these can be disrupted these can be corrupted, and these can be altered in such a way as we don't really know how it's going on over there. We don't even have indicators of technical difficulties that might be having from this end. So that sometimes, and I'm sure those of you who have used um, uh, uh, conversation software such as this one, uh, or Zoom, Zoom or web webinar, go to webinar, go to meeting, etc. Sometimes I don't even know that my last message didn't be wasn't heard, and I have to take time to double back and try to recreate it, even though it's no longer contextually appropriate. It's not like that's a big hassle, but the disruption is very significant when it comes to a flow of thinking being translated to words, and then 
Oh, yeah. Once it goes all that message, then it's got to land in the ears of the listener who's got his own, his or her own life going on, who's already affected with their feelings and emotions and things that are preoccupying them. And we have this understanding that if we that if this lands over there, it's likely that they will hear that which we meant to say. But if we really think about it, there's no way that they're hearing that which we meant to say on a frequent basis because there's too many moving parts, including the receivers, filters that are in place, and any kind of preconceived notions or any kind of uh, prejudices or any kind of, uh, like I said, um, disorientation or, um, uh, you, you know, their pre- preoccupation. Now, before all that happens, let's just assume that somehow we got lucky enough that all those pieces took place. Now we got to count on that listener to actually process that information which was delivered on the fly without editing by my talking and get an idea put in place that has to fit in their global understanding of how the world works in order to understand that, which I would say. And the only way we can double check if that's what they think they understood is when we hear them say, I get it, or I understand you. My now, you could see that we're not even done with one particular exchange, and a, a conversation is a string of these exchanges that can go on for hours, days, weeks, and months. The idea that we're able to communicate effectively the way that we are doing is kind of ludicrous, and it's important to acknowledge that. The True Voice course takes into consideration not only perfecting or giving room to be great listeners and to be forgiving, accepting, and compassionate about ourselves when we may not say or listen to things the way that we perhaps could have optimally, but it also looks at other forms of self-expression like art and music and dancing and singing and drama and cooking and writing and gardening as part of the Creative Eight, which was the first book that I uh, published in 2019. If you'd like to take a look at that book, you will find it at welcometohumanity.net forward slash creative or welcometohumanity.net forward slash creative eight. From there, you'll be able to see how this uh, how this book makes sense. You see, I started use when I started taking people off of medicine, which you'll hear about in my commercial upcoming. Uh, I started taking people off medicine and then started taking them off their diagnosis and it worked. It gave them their life back. Like in many cases, by coming off the medicine, by disowning their diagnosis, all that happened is that they became standard human beings who deserve no extra or less credit for being a human being. In fact, that's how I see life. That's what Welcome to Humanity is, is that each of us are just human beings. Some of us having more or less trouble dealing with the chaos the confusion, and the craziness of our present world. Now, the truth is, it's always been chaotic, confusing, and crazy. But it does seem like it's gotten more of those things recently. So art is a great way to express yourself. Have you ever looked at a painting and really gotten a whole new world from your life? Or if you look at or listen to music, Recently, I've been listening to classical classical music a little bit, and I fell in love with Antonio Vivaldi. But you can also go with other composers or any kind of music, and everything from, you know, Rafi, Ra, Rav, uh, Rafi or even Led Zeppelin. 
So I invite you to get that that's just art and music, but dancing, singing, drama, cooking, writing, gardening are many other ways to express ourselves. And when we are expressing ourselves effectively, and I would say there's less moving pieces, believe it or not, in a piece of art or a piece of music and how it expresses one's real self. When we are, we get to have this harmonic resonance that I like to call human connection. The place for human connection is at the center of all healing. There is no healing really in the human race. It doesn't depend, at least in a very uh, significant proportion, on human connection. I invite you to take a look at that also as we soar into the second half of this conversation. The Creative Aid is something I'm very proud of, as is the True Voice course. And now it's my time to actually extend out and be the man I came here to be. As it turns out, I came here 64 years ago, and I believe my assignment was to bring service, to bring communication, to bring joy and love, and more than anything, to bring human connection to the world. I have studied this with my heart and soul for years, and I have not always been good at it, that's for sure. But coming aligned with that's what I'm here to do now, it appears that this course was created by me, through me, and for me, and I am deeply grateful. Again, if you want to speak further with to me about any of this or anything else on your mind, the best way to call me is one 627 6008 I'll be glad to put you on the second half of the show where I think Sam might be joining us. In the meantime, let's head off to the commercial. Thank you for being here. Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Fred again. I wanted to explain to you a little bit about one of the names I have called the Undoctor. What is the Undoctor? Well, after about 15 years in the field of me being misaligned with what I was doing, because I was medicating people even knowing that medications were not the right answer, and I was diagnosing people even though I didn't always believe that they had the diagnosis that I said that they had, even though they did meet the criteria, etc. I like seeing humans for exactly who they are and who they're not, and not as a diagnosis. So in 2006, I began the process of becoming the undoctor. I unmedicated, undiagnosed, and then undoctrinated a bunch of people. Like people no longer had to come to a psychiatrist because their conditions cleared. This isn't true for everyone. It may not be true for you, but for some folks who know that their diagnosis doesn't fit and who know that they don't want to keep going through with medications and don't want to be seen as someone who's defective or afflicted, this turned out to be a great intervention. Over time, I stopped doing that and I no longer do a whole lot of conventional psychiatry. Now I just help people walk through their life and find their true voice. I connect with people straight up, not as if there's a power gradient between a doctor and a patient, but it's two humans connecting and resonating with each other. As it turns out, that's where all healing emanates from. So today, I've developed the Welcome to Humanity brand over the last six or seven years, and that really takes into consideration all of this. It is self-explanatory. Basically, each and every experience that we have with humanity is just as exquisite as another, even if it's deeply uncomfortable. From there, we get to actually share these human experiences. From there, we get to resonate and connect. And from there, healing takes place. 
I also have been helping people with their true voice, and that's why you're here today at True Voice with Dr. Fred. I help people find that true voice, really their authentic self, their core value system, and then deliver it effectively into a world that is eagerly awaiting to hear you. Without your voice, no one will ever hear you. And without your true voice, no one will ever know you. But with your true voice, you can find healing, peace, and love. True voice is what it takes to end all wars. So welcome to True Voice with Dr. Fred. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's uh, my co-partner, Sam, is here. And uh, Sam, can you hear me? Sure can. All right. Just well, you just came voice. back. You just came back with, uh, you know, on the other side of, uh, I don't know if I said come forth on my, on my, uh, on my commercial. I think it was in the start that I say it, but uh, the idea is the commercial just ended. So we're rolling into the second half. And I came forth. And you did. You came really deeply forth. And I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> what do we got going on? What, is, what are we talking about today? Well, Fred? recently, what I really was talking a little bit about was this uh, was the course, uh, the True Voice course and how it's uh, the uh, etiology of it and how it developed. But I think I was done. I think I exhausted that topic pretty well for now, really focusing on the fact that uh, the course was designed or is now being targeted for a a demographic or a target population of the 18 to 39 year olds. I have them being the ones who are most brilliant in this world, the ones who are most well-meaning. We've talked about this before. Some of the 18 to they still have a little bit of optimism. They they're they're shocking. They're shocking in their capacity yeah. to to learn, and they're not they're old enough to know what's so, and not old enough to know that it's worthless or hopeless. You know. Oh boy, yeah. That's here's you know it reminds me of a, a Simpsons episode <clears throat> that I watched years ago. Where uh, uh, who was it? What's what's the name? Maggie, Maggie, the daughter. I think yeah, it's Maggie. Maggie. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, Maggie was um, she, so she's a she's a, a vegan, I believe, and uh, and the, she was really upset about um, about something related to veganism, and <clears throat> Homer comforted comforted her by saying, "It's okay, Maggie." When I was young, I believed in things too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I think that uh, to, in all honesty, I think that, you know, it is, it can be challenging to maintain a sense of optimism, uh, especially as you grow older. There's uh there's, there tends to be um, a, a type of, um, crust of cynicism that that i think people uh, begin to be sort of guarded by um because life will take its toll life yeah. will take its toll it is not an easy ride and yet what the hell else are we gonna do yeah <clears throat> i mean the question is are we gonna go on and if so then what perspective and what attitude are we gonna take to go on with and when we, when it no longer works, then we'll, we'll know, but until then we might as well give it our best. I, I, I think I'm left with the same space. I mean, it's like, 
what else are you going to do? And, you know, the, sometimes that's not enough. I, you know, sometimes it's not enough. And other times it, it's the only thing that matters. And frankly, it is the only thing that matters. Like if we can ride off into the sunset, having realized that all we can do is our very best to leave uh, the world, you know, maybe better with us having been here or maybe exploring this notion of love, you know, what does it mean to love another person or to love life or to love God or to, you know, love uh, anything, um, or maybe not what, maybe it's not a verb. What does it mean that we live in, in love? Um, you know, maybe there's something there that can be, it's like, you know, you if we're going to die or if we're going to end this thing, if I can really just know that on the very last moment, that seems like it's a, a remarkably successful life. Yeah. And I would say to anyone out there who is feeling cynical, pessimistic, et cetera, like, look, I get it. <laughs> I get it. And I, and I love you and I can appreciate your perspective. Like it makes sense to be cynical and to be pessimistic in this world. It makes sense. I think frequently what happens, and this has certainly been true for me in many respects is there's, if you are sensitive, if you're not sensitive, if you're not that sensitive to what's going on in the world and you don't really care that much about other people in the planet, et cetera, well, you know, you can kind of ride it out, you know, find a job that makes you some money and just kind of tune everything out and do your thing and eat your junk food and watch your TV and whatever. If you have no real cares about the future of humanity, then that actually is a pretty comfortable place to live. You know, you can get by pretty well. There will always be a job for you and there will always be things to do for those who don't really give a shit about the future of humanity or the planet or anything. Uh, But for those who actually do give a shit, it can really be easy to become incredibly pessimistic and cynical in this world. And Unfortunately, it's these same people who actually care who we need to have develop a greater sense of optimism. Mm. You know, it's it's like you're the only hope. The folks who are eating the junk food and not giving a shit about humanity, not giving a future about the giving a shit about the future of the ecosystem, it's not going to be up to them to decide our future. They are on a crash course with you know, nothingness. And it's not, that's not a, a statement of judgment. It's just a true fact, you know, that's, it's just, and that's going to be the majority of people. Mm. Uh, I don't know if we will ever have a, a sort of, I don't know if it's kind of naive to anticipate that there will ever be a large portion of the population that is <laughs> optimistic and, and that is sort of a uh, spiritually inclusive and, and, uh, and having a, a, perspective on the world that extends beyond the limits of their own tissue and brain. Um, it would seem to me the only way that that mathematics works is if everyone else just naturally dies off as a function of not giving a shit, then, then we'll be left with a greater percentage of people like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing that could potentially happen. Sure. Absolutely. Or, or there's a possibility, I suppose that those who are, who, who somehow do have some sort of agency and desire to take on a leadership role and who can do it with uh, humility and, um, and genuinely good intentions, 
can help to shape a society where those who don't give a shit can actually function within that structure and and serve the overall structure you know we'll, we'll always need to have some form of economy happening so they can serve that structure but in a way that is not destructive to humanity and the planet and i mm-hmm. think that a lot of that rests in the role of the leaders because it's really a top down scenario everything is top going to be top down i don't think that uh, we're going to see large numbers of uh, people ra- rising up from the grassroots and suddenly giving a shit. So, <laughs> yeah, it seems like we used to count on that. You know, we used to count on people rising up from the roots and protesting or gathering or creating new um, new policies or you know making their voices heard. And it, it you when you think about it now, you're like, mm, oh, I don't think so, dude. I don't. I don't no. think that's going to happen. No, like it's, it's that, that is been, that has been like fundamentally um, prevented now, like in some ways that can't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that that has ever been a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, Uprising. Uh, I, I don't think, I think that's, that's a, I think that is some, um, naivete that would suggest that there's a possibility there and yet at the same time does is that even really required exactly right i know i think that perhaps my my optimistic slant because i i mean if i couldn't be at least a little bit optimistic i'd probably just shove a gun in my throat and just have it be over with i guess so you know so there has to be a little glimmer of hope that keeps me waking up every morning and that glimmer of hope, I think, for me, revolves around the um, the pressures of um, that we ha- just simply have to deal with. That there, that you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And can we invent our way out of this current uh, unsustainable system mm. by having uh, and Daniel Schmachtenberger talks about this a lot. I don't know if you're are you familiar with Daniel Schmachtenberger? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, he's, before. yeah. he's he's just amazing. I understand about five percent of what he says. I think he's actually getting a little bit better at speaking to a layman, but there's actually no way that he can really speak to layman in a functional way because what he's talking about is inherently complex. And so I just do my best to listen as best as I can, but he talks about, he uses this term, the meta crisis and the meta crisis in his definition refers to a number of different variables related to social systems, religion, philosophy, education, governance, finance, Etc. cetera, ecology, all colliding together at the same time and creating a crisis to beat all crises. Mm. And we'll add to that um, issues with AI. Uh, for example, uh, we, we used to be able to rely on mutually assured destruction with nuclear armaments, which for those who aren't familiar with the term means 
We basically stayed safe from another nuclear war because if one country attacked another with nuclear arms, then that country could attack back and we both blow up and no one wins. So mutually assured destruction was able to prevent nuclear a nuclear holocaust. But this same sort of uh, 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 principle does not apply when it comes to things like AI, which is simply software. Anyone who has half a brain can learn how to program a computer enough to create a virus, which can mess all kinds of shit up and experience no consequences as a result and maintain complete anonymity in the process. So we'll add that into the equation of one of the multiple variables that is contributing to this meta crisis. And so in addition to that, he suggests that some of the things that we would do that would make sense at the level of an existing problem, one of those layers of problem, if we were to say address mm, the ecological problem through a more sustainable alternative to coal and oil, et cetera, that may end up having a, a on, on one hand, that might end up uh, reducing a certain type of pollution, but at the same time impacting another un, unwittingly creating another problem that is creating a worse problem than the problem that the more ecologically sustainable fuel source was trying to solve. So we have to take very uh, we have to take incremental steps to a very fast approaching meta crisis which is considerate of a number of different variables all of which we don't really know how they impact each other and so um anyway it's yeah. complex but my hope is that the pressures that are being applied against us are obvious enough to necessitate those shifts and that we can develop uh, sort of a educational system and, and groups of thinkers that can help to solve these major, major issues. And for those who are really intelligent, heart-centered people, you're going to have a field day of fun because there's going to be all kinds of great problems to work on solving. Yeah, you know, you mentioned that, uh, many, many things. It's just a brilliant run that you had there, so thank you. <clears throat> you spoke to this idea that if you weren't an optimist, maybe you'd just load up a gun and put it in your mouth. Mm. Uh, call it a day, you know, if you didn't have even any glimmer of hope. So I'd like to talk to that equation or that notion, that this idea of hope, this idea of, like, faith. This idea of maybe it will be better, or maybe I can make a difference, or maybe there's a space for me, or maybe there's an escape for me, or maybe there's pleasure waiting, or maybe there's a gift waiting, or maybe there's love waiting, or maybe there's magic that's going to occur. You know, these things that um, miracles, you know, I'll hang around until I really get that if none of those things are going to happen. The same human brain, it does not have the fuel necessary to continue going forward. Like it's a contingency that we make that the only reason to go forward 
is to assume that ultimately we can make a difference in one of those areas. And if in fact the experience is that they, we can't make a difference and it's about to get whatever worse means that our survival becomes more threatened or you know, there's nothing to do because there's nothing to do to make things better, then this idea of ending it all or suicide or, you know, straight nihilism or like, you know, really calling it a day, like not having a reason to get out of bed. Instead, maybe I'll just snort cocaine all day and, you know, masturbate or watch Netflix or do some self-soothing thing. Um, it's like it all hinges on this idea that there has to be hope in order for there to be a purpose. I'd love to hear your idea on this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this I think is um, where the most grounded form of faith can emerge from. And, um, you know, I have, um, this is, it's a fantastic question and i'm just sitting with it for a moment before yeah, take your time take to, your time we to, don't there's no urgency my, on this one yeah yeah let my thoughts sort of coagulate here yeah I so don't think i've never asked it myself actually so i'm sitting with it too it just uh came through me and it's like oh it's really about hope that if you truly make things hopeless we all agree that ending life is like a good move yeah yeah and and i'm and i'm yeah so there's hope and then there's faith. And I'd like to explore the difference, but semantic difference between those two words. Okay. Yeah, please. Yeah. Hope can be applied. I suppose. Let me, uh, to some... let me give the number again in case someone's like yeah. catching up with us here and wants to jump in. It's one eight 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 six two seven six zero zero eight. It's one eight 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 six two seven six zero zero eight. You sat through the first half hour with me speaking to the group, and now I have my partner here, Sam Morris, and Sam and I are talking about many, many, many things, but ultimately this idea of how hope is maybe the single most important feature, hope and or faith, which we're about to split into two here as two different concepts, might be the most important indicator of whether or not to keep moving forward or to keep living, to keep breathing, to get out of bed, to keep doing or being you without hope. We all agree there might be no reason to continue, but we're about to take on this notion of reason in the interface between reason and hope and reason and a different concept, slightly different concept, reason and faith um, looking at the semantical uh, implications of either of those two things in helping us choose whether or not to take another step in this three-dimensional world. So back to Sam Morris. Yeah. Okay, great. So, so um, let's start with, let's start with this. Reality will never be comfortable as far as I can see it will never create the types of certainty that our minds desire. It's not, it's not designed to reality is too complex. There are too many variables and our logical minds would like to create as much certainty around the unknown world 
create a version of it that we can call the known world so that we can navigate as comfortably as possible through it. But that's a futile exercise. It will never conform to our expectations and it is unrealistic to expect that it ever will. So let's start there because we first have to get over a tendency for the mind to want to control what is happening in some way to create certainty in a known world that we can rely on for our own comfort and it will never happen. So that tendency creates suffering. Buddha was talking about this thousands of years ago. So this is no, not a new concept. Now hope would suggest in terms of my understanding of the definition of hope that some aspects of this world outside of us will change in our favor enough so that we can feel a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more of a sense that things are going our way. And maybe even a major sense that things are going our way. And Throughout history, it has been that hope that things will get better that has actually kept, it has actually propelled a lot of people to keep moving forward and not just annihilate themselves or each other. Mm -hmm. So hope has been central to the evolution of the human species. Mm -hmm. But now I want to make a, to draw a distinction between hope and faith. Because faith, to me, it brings it into the personal realm. Faith is about a spiritual sensing, if you will, that my unique life has some sort of meaning, even despite the pain. And that the pain, suffering, and challenges that I'm going through I might not be able to logically make sense of them, but that there is a larger intelligence at play that is a mystery to the logical mind. I can't wrap my mind around it. I never will be able to wrap my mind around it, but that there is a larger intelligence at play. One might call it God. One might call it the universe. One might call it source, etc. That has its own for lack of a better term, agenda, and it has its own intelligence and it is acting through us and that the circumstances of our own challenges are actually grist for the mill for us to develop and grow into more empathic, compassionate, insightful beings who will ultimately create a better world together. So that's how I would create that distinction around hope and faith. And yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Fred. Thank you. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I guess uh, kicking off on, the, on what you're bringing up, what I have is that hope is something like things will change in a better, towards the better, ultimately. Like, yes, some sort of agreement that this sucks and shouldn't be the way it is. And that because things always turn about, it'll be, I, I have some hope that things will be improved upon or made better or, or uh, bigger or more acceptable. 
faith is something like what's happening now is perfect and mm. for me. And mm. I don't have anything to say about whether or not some future direction is going to make things easier or more right or more correct or bigger or better. I just have it that exactly how things going is, is exactly how not only they should be going, but represents simple and total perfection. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to, I don't have to hope for shit. I don't have to mm -hmm. hope for that. Hoping is in that situation is kind of ludicrous and, and, and sacrilege in a way, somehow that, I got to hope that things turn. Who am I to have the arrogant hubris to believe that things should get better? What does getting better even mean? There is, there is a, a really powerful nuance that you just described that I think is incredibly worth honing in on. And that is this notion that hope assumes something wrong with the present situation exactly. where faith assumes something right about the present situation. Exactly. That's really, and that is a really interesting distinction to make really, really interesting distinction. Uh, I like how the, the, you use the word hubris and almost sacrilege to suggest that we, and somehow, yeah, to have the hubris and audacity to believe on some level that things are not going the way that the intelligence that guides all of us you know, on, on an invisible realm wants it to go. And I think in particularly challenging situations, it can feel like that. And I think it's meant to feel like that too. So this is no judgment about anyone. If there, anyone is listening to this and going, oh, what, what are they saying that I shouldn't uh, feel hopeless and that I should somehow, no, there's no shoulds here. This is no judgment. I think that there is a every reason to lose faith when things don't look so good, when things look grim, when we are, potentially approaching world war three when we are approaching the unknowns related to artificial intelligence and climate change and all of these things involved in this so-called meta crisis it makes sense to lose hope and yet at the same time that deeper faith actually requires an act of surrender. And that's, that is, this is true for all religious and spiritual traditions. This is, this is independent of dogma. This is actually wisdom, not dogma that in every religious and spiritual tradition, there is an emphasis on surrender and the, the egoic mind, which is the mind uh, that we believe that we are the representation of who we believe ourselves to be that is not who we actually are but just a representation that our mind creates that that mind cannot fully comprehend the whole and its attempts to will always fail and so there is this requirement to let go of trying to get to make sense of it all 
And that is surrender, the letting go of the trying to make sense of it all. And through doing so, it's not becoming passive and giving up. It is actually developing a greater sense of equanimity that is not based on a, a sense of, oh, I've got it all figured out, but instead saying, I can be okay with being completely uncertain. Right. Like completely uncertain and not just completely uncertain, but completely uncomfortable too. Completely uncertain and completely uncomfortable. Yeah. Thanks for adding that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, can I be okay with absolutely feeling like things aren't okay? You know, can I be, it's like faith is a surrender based notion that all is well, or all is, or some sort of, I think it does, it does count on, I think faith has a religious overtone. Like you have to believe that God's running the show or your higher powers, like it's all good. Like how could it not be who, there's never been anybody ultimately who has been able to make the way things are going, not be the way thing. I mean, there's never been a time that things weren't the way that they were. Yeah. So we, and we think that we have that I, not now, you know, our thinking leads to opinions and our opinions lead to the idea that there's right, wrong, good, bad, true, false. And then, we really are pretty sure that if shit was right, then it would look different than what we're doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing that helps to reinforce this, that I sometimes come back to when I'm in moments of brain fog or resistance to this or whatever is a very sort of a somewhat simple and yet somewhat profound awareness or a reminder, affirmation, maybe it is. And that is that up until now, I have been 100% successful in getting myself here. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Up until now, you've been 100% successful. Not one beat off. There has not been one time that I have messed up with getting myself here. That's right. I may have messed up with a lot of the details in terms of getting them to do what I wanted them to do and do what I thought that I should do and so forth. But I have been 100% successful in getting myself here. You have been 100% successful. Everyone listening to this has been 100% successful in getting yourself here. And when you're no longer successful, it no longer matters. It's true. There's a there's a corollary to this, I think, that serves a purpose as we head off into the evening. Um, and I'm going to steal it from uh, from a distinction in the wisdom division uh, uh, over there at Landmark Education, which is that um, this is what life looks like when it's working. Mm-hmm. This is it. Mm-hmm. You want to know what life looks like when it's working? Mm-hmm. It looks like this. Exactly this. Exactly. Yeah. This is it. This is what life looks like when it's working. Yeah. And you and I have been 100% successful, like undefeated, like, you know, fully undefeated, fully undefeated. 
And every we won't let you know when we are not successful. On the day that we're unsuccessful. Instead, you can read it on our gravestones. And at that point, we will have been successful in going to wherever we are going. Yeah, it might even be perfect then. You don't even know. Yeah. Probably is. Probably is. This idea that uh, death is the failure of life is also a, maybe a topic for the next conversation. It's simply- Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a complete misrepresentation of death. That's for yeah. sure. Certainly every psychedelic journey that I've ever been on has been an indicator of that. Yeah. Fabulous. Mm. All right, Brother Sam Morris, thanks for joining me. It is uh, time to close the doors on uh, True Voice with Dr. Fred, uh, episode uh, number, I don't even know, 15 or 20 that we've been doing this. It's a deep pleasure. Sam's been on with me probably two-thirds of those times, and uh, we like taking these conversations deep. Um, If you enjoy those conversations, if you enjoy them, and there's a button near you where you can, you know, uh, uh, subscribe um, or share with others uh, uh, this uh, this podcast. That'd be super great. Uh, you can find me at Dr. Fred at WelcomeToHumanity.net. That's uh, if you have anything to speak to, anything you want to talk about. Um, I am looking for people for the the course uh, that I'm leading. Uh, the, there's a half price offer between now and like September 2nd. And so you find that at truevoicepodcasting.com. That's truevoicepodcasting.com. And if you want to know a little bit more about um, other things that I've done, I have a book uh, that I wrote this year called Find Your True Voice. And you can find that book at findyourtruevoicebook.com. And if you do uh, take the energy to do that, I'm going to send you a copy of that book. And at least for now, anyways, also uh, pay for shipping, but we're doing our best to change over that. So get it, get it while it's hot. And Sam, where can they find you? Yeah, you can contact me through my website, zenwarriortraining.com. Or you can follow me on Instagram at zenwarriortraining. So my name, Sam Morris and Zen Warrior Training. You can follow me, find me on most of the things, the platforms and most so forth. Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Love you, Sam. Love you, crowd. You Thanks too, for Fred. showing up. Really fun conversation. Killed it. Absolutely, as always. Thanks, Tech. Appreciate it. Off we go. Hello, everybody. And I just wanted to thank you for getting through another episode of True Voice with Dr. Fred. Wasn't that great? It is so much fun to interact with people and then interact with my listenership about really finding true voice and then bringing it forward. I really have never done anything more important than this and I'm finally aligned with myself by helping others find their true voice. Let's find your alignment. What do you really want in your life?